racism is a very, very difficult subject. And I, I know I just come right out of the box with it, but it is. I grew up in the South, and growing up in the South, radical transformation and, and social justice and racism, the civil rights movement, all that was just kind of in that whole big can of worms of my growing up year, years. I can remember uh, as, as a kid in the church, our church voting on whether or not to receive black members in membership. And I also remember uh, my dad standing up and speaking to this just the stupidity of even that recommendation, like all people matter and all people were part of it. It's more than interesting, my dad grew up in Neshoba County, Mississippi, one of the hotbeds of the civil rights movement and a center place for the Ku Klux Klan, yet somehow he wasn't racist. So, interesting. Um, I remember my extended family being openly disdained for folks who were different, folks of different racial origins. Somehow in their minds, they were superior because of the amount of melanin in their skin. Like, what's up with that? Racism was real and it was pervasive. And how did we get there? What led to all of this craziness? What are the roots of racism and what did Jesus say about it? You know, the word racist was, uh, racism was not even used as a word until 1902. It, it wasn't. The concept of racism, though, is as old as man. Satan created the division of races. Did you know that? God created man in his own image. Listen to this. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. Genesis, Genesis 1, 27. According to God, there's but one race. It's the human race. Now, God did create and allow to create, create uh, various ethnic groups that, that look different and they have different cultures and different climates and different customs and all of those things. And God loves that variety of the, of the nations of the world. He talks about those. But he loves all people of the world. Racism is a learned and passed down experience. And you find an open disdain for ethnic groups as early as Genesis. Listen to this. Noah's son who came out of the ark was were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Ham was the father of Cana, and the three sons, the three, the three were Noah's sons, and from the whole earth was populated. Now, people say that the people from Shem came from that's the, the Jewish race came from them. And Shem was supposed to be short for Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. That was the chosen people, Shem. Ham and Jephthah. Jephthah was allegedly the, the, the people of Africa. And Ham were the people of Cana and the other people who, who inhabited the promised land that were not godly, like the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and even the Egyptians. Well, the Egyptians were supposed to be from Jephthah. So you see this, you go, oh, wait a second. <clears throat> they all came out of these three people. How in the world did we get to this place of racism? Now, look, listen to this. They served him, this is out of Genesis 43, referring to Joseph. They served him, Joseph, by himself, his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were eating by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews since that was detestable to them. So even in Genesis, you see the marks of racism where the Hebrews were considered inferior to the Egyptians, and then you saw they come vice versa. So what's the deal? Racism was placed in the heart of man by Satan himself and latched on to the sin and its destruction. Racism is learned and passed down and accepted as a norm. In the 60s, 
a guy named, a pastor named Martin Luther King Jr. was the champion to end the divisiveness of racism. He said this, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a country where they'll not be judged by the color of the skin, but the content of their character. I love that quote. And I have the same dream because that dream reflects the heart of God. In Montgomery, Alabama, where a lot of this tension was played out, God was bringing the miracle of restoration and is still unfolding today. You see, our external, source, our external sources will shape our internal convictions. There's never been a more accurate explanation of racism than that the external influencing the internal. We somehow embrace that some, somebody's different than me, therefore is inferior to me. I've heard it said, and this is kind of very interesting, I love all people as long as they don't live on my street. Really? Because they look different, they're, they're inferior. How do we untie the knots of racism? And what do we do with this and live free from its sinful effects? Now, when I was preparing this talk and getting ready for this talk, it just really was convicting to me. How in the world can I wade into this deep, sinful water knowing that I would be attacked? You know what? I just have to be bold. I have to be brave. I have to make the bold move of honor. And so do you. Jesus had an encounter in his hometown that illustrates the power of racism. And this really is what got me thinking about this. Because Jesus is God in flesh, he loved all people. Let's look at that encounter. And let's make some practical, radical changes in our lives so that we can hear what Jesus says and then live all for him. Father, thank you for what you're going to say. And I pray, Father, as we walk through this really difficult talk on racism, that you will lead us to your truth and your understanding, that we can lay aside all the junk of prejudice that's been poured into our lives and our minds and really seek your truth and your freedom as we live all for you. Thank you for what you said about relationships. Thank you for the experiences we've had. Now guide us in this discussion, in this information, in this transformation regarding racism. We pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. So my friend Larry Adams. Larry, you, you're a pastor for a long, long time, right? 42 years. 42 years. And when we talk about racism, this is something that you had a conversation with me that really just kind of went, oh my gosh. Kind of tell me your story. How, what did God do in your heart in regards to racial, uh, racial issues? Well, n none of us ever think that we have a racial issue in our lives. Right. But when my daughter came and told me that she was pregnant and her baby would be born black, um, I had, I had some issues that I didn't know I had in my life. My gracious. Now, where were you living at the time? Uh, just south of Abilene. Okay, so you're in Texas. Yes. And how old was your daughter? Uh, 20. 20, and she wasn't married? No. And she's impregnated by a black man, and which, okay, that's kind of like tough stuff, isn't it, buddy? I, well, I, I reacted well for the first hour. <laughs> okay. And then, then what happened? What did God do in your heart in that situation? To begin with, um, uh, I went kind of crazy because I was trying to figure out how to get this baby adopted. So my 
I, I, I was trying to tell my daughter it was for her sake, but it was for me. Oh, maintaining your re your reputation. Exactly. And, and being a pastor, you, you, sometimes yep. the church could be not full of grace. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my middle child uh, lived in Abilene, and uh, she rescued me, her and a psychologist. Okay. And I ended up going to... Uh, uh, that training you take so you can attend the birth. Oh yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. Lamaze, Lamaze. Yeah, yeah. And so we, I did. I attended the birth with your daughter. With my daughter. Wow. And um, I was uh, privileged to cut the cord of that little girl. Really, you were there at the birth. Yeah, I was. How about that? And when I held that baby in my, yeah, your arms. Yeah. I realized God loves us all the same because we are. Wow, that's right. And I had the privilege of watching her grow up yeah. and helping in that. Yeah. Now you have three granddaughters. I do. And they're all biracial, whatever yes. that means. Yeah. I think I'm biracial too. I think I'm about five racial, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just short. Yeah. <laughs> and those girls are thriving, doing well? They are. Very much. Very much loved by their grandfather. Very much. So as a, as a daddy, granddaddy. It really doesn't matter about the color of our skin. No. It matters about the content of our character. Exactly. And the, and the Christ in our heart. Yes. Wow. And the oldest one, I had the privilege of sharing my hope with. I see. And at 12 years old, she accepted Christ at a picnic table in the Abilene Zoo. Wow. God does amazing things when we let him do his thing, doesn't he? Yes. Yes. Wow. How did your church react to this? Well, it was a little small church, uh -huh. um, and they were great. Uh -huh. They they really were. And I would serve later in Alabama, uh -huh. in Marengo County. Oh, wow. Western Alabama. And they uh, they treated us very well as well. Wow. So, surprisingly enough, the people of God responded with the grace of God. They did. Maybe that's the cure to racism. It's got to be. Address it as sin. Deal with it as sin and love people. Exactly. Gosh. Regardless of who or what they are. Larry, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for asking. Yeah, and I hope this has helped. Well, I want, first of all, I want you to look at, here's, here's Jesus' encounter. This is what he did. He was in his hometown called Nazareth. I want to read. It's kind of long, but I'll read it fast. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found a place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, to set, the cap to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began saying to them, Today as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Dr. Hill, yourself. Why, why were, were why, why we heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also? He said, Truly, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there's a certainly many widows in, the, in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while the great famine came and all over the land. Yet Elijah did not send any of them except the widow in Zarephath and Sidon. And the prophet Elisha's time, weren't there many in Israel who had leprosy? Yet not one of them was cleansed except for Nathan the Syrian. 
When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built upon, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed through them through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I've heard this and read this passage before. But the other day, it just jumped out at me. Jesus was addressing the needs of all people, and they were so racist, they lost their minds. You see, Jesus, when he said, this was scripture has been fulfilled in your sight, the first thing they did, they did this. They were impressed at first. Then they, first of all, they questioned his legitimacy. When they said, isn't this Joseph's son? I want you to think of quote-unquote Joseph's son because Jesus was illegitimate in their eyes. And then he made the statement that they rejected his authority. Because of his illegitimacy, he rejected his authority. That Jesus doubled down on them, and they lost their minds when he extended God's grace and love to someone who wasn't Jewish. Jesus, they tried to kill Jesus because of racism. Weren't there enough widows that he didn't go to a widow of Zarephath inside him? Wasn't there enough lepers that he didn't go to Nathan the Assyrian? And they lost their minds in racism. The Jewish people was so racist, they believed everyone else was inferior. Thus, anyone standing on behalf of anyone of a different nationality or quote-unquote race was deserving of death, even God himself. Wow. I've been to the cliff where the city of Nazareth is built. I've seen the place they wanted to push Jesus down. It's over a 150-foot drop. And it was all about racism. You see, the racist roots are these. It starts in the heart of man. And here's the progression. It's arrogance that says, I am great, and you are not. It's entitlement that says, I deserve this, and you do not. It's elitism that says, I am better than you, and you are inferior to me. And racism basically says, you are less than me, and you're not even human. You're not even human. We all have idealistic standards based on perceived expectations. If someone is different from me, then they have to be inferior to me, and that's craziness. I can't understand their language, so therefore they must be ignorant. In fact, the Romans called the Slavic people the German barbarians because they said they just went blah, 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 blah. They didn't speak. They just went blah, 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 because the Romans couldn't understand them. They counted them as barbaric and therefore uncivilized, uncouth, unkept, unhuman, and could be killed at anyone's discretion. I have a picture in my office. In fact, we're going to throw it up right now. Of my ancestor, William Henry Weatherford, Chief Red Eagle, confronting Andrew Jackson in his tent about the attempted genocide of the Creek Indians in Alabama. What? And that's the root. That if they're unfamiliar in their dress, unsophisticated in their customs, and they're, especially if they're a different color, or if their hair is a different texture, then they're inferior and they're really not even human. For years in America, there were laws called the Jim Crow laws that segregated 
white folks and black folks, that were absolutely ungodly. What do we do? Now, some of you just got mad at me. So what? How do we deal with this? So as I thought about this and I wrote this about the racist roots, I got to recognize some blind spots I have in my life. We sing the song, break my heart for what breaks yours, referring to God's heart. But do we really mean this? And I think racism breaks the heart of God because God loves all people. If we do mean this, if we want our hearts to be broken for what breaks the heart of God, can we begin a process of healing our hearts and healing our minds? It's going to require what I call the bold move of honor. Now, I've said this over and over in the last few series on relationships. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take delight in honoring each other. Is this what this means? I have to reject the dishonoring responses of culture. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect in the will of God. You see, the voice of God has to drown out the voices of culture. That I have to stop listening to the media. And there's a bias in the media that wants to keep you agitated and exacerbated. If they can make racial tension something that will make you tune in and listen, they will ratchet up the tension just to get your advertising dollars. Don't be confused. When a political group starts a movement to raise money on the back of what's perceived atrocities to a people group, be suspicious. Be suspicious. We don't want to be this or this. We want to be gods. And God says he loves all people. We are of one blood. We must make the third option, and that is the option to honor all people. Media is designed to stir you up. The external shapes the internal conviction. Admit your attitudes and your shortcomings. It's been proven scientifically through brain studies that um, that people are socialized to be fearful of people that are different. In fact, there's a place in your amygdala, if you're socialized so much to, to fear another racial group, when you see the face of that person, your first response is fear or suspicion or disdain. And that's all through the perversion of your mind through socialization and social structure. And God says to transform your mind by the renewing of your mind. I have to have the mind of Christ. I have to address generational sins. <clears throat> this requires courage that's also loaded with fear. Last small group, we talked about generational sins, and, and we're leaning into this today, and racism is definitely a generational sin. You see, I have to have the courage to address the things that are in my past. And courage is born in the delivery room of facing my fears. What am I afraid of to see the fact that my fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and there, there, there were racist and say, I'm not going to live this way. How do I address these things? Martin Luther King Jr. said this as well. 
We must build dikes of courage to hold back the floodwaters of fear. To make the bold move of courage, the bold move of honor, to says, I'm going to recognize my blind spots, and I'm, I'm going to respond in honor and reject dishonoring responses. I'm going to stop dehumanizing people, and I'm going to live in the next really point I want to make, to live in radical transformation, to be radically transformed. Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, a transformed mind starts in your heart to love God. And if God loves all people, therefore I must love all people. So I have to lay aside the prejudice and the tainting of racism. That means I'm going to have to make some bold moves. Maybe what I need to do, instead of saying, well, I've got lots of friends that are black, maybe enter, entertain and move into the culture and be accepting and being loving. Instead of being segregating, be inclusive. Being loving and speak words of honor and not words of disdain. The transformation of my perceptions that leads to acceptance. Instead of automatically assuming someone's less than me because they're different from me is a, is a thought I need to reject and retrain my mind through the power of the Holy Spirit to see that people are people. Do you know we even built theological systems that say that I am the elect and you are not? I'm going to heaven and you're not. Therefore, it doesn't matter if I own you or kill you or abuse you. And it just doesn't happen with, with races. It also happens with, with sexes where women can be considered property and disposable and men become misogynistic and used. And racism and misogynism are twins of the same destructive, deforming father. Oh. As my mind is transformed, it starts in my heart to love God and love people. My perception of my character is changed to be a person of acceptance. Then, then, there's the transformation of my life that leads to reconciliation. That's the process of God. That's the bold move of honor. I have a dream. And that dream is the really God's dream. And God's dream has a plan, and his plan starts in my heart and my mind that I will reject racism as a way of life because I belong to Jesus. And I will be like Jesus and accept all people. I refuse to be like the Nazarenes who lost their minds, and I choose to be like Jesus who opened his arms. I know you're thinking, well, Pastor Scott, you don't live in a real world. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, you've never had uh, been exposed to prejudice and fear and see what those people do. Oh, yeah, I have. And I choose love. And I choose Jesus. And I choose honor. Because in that, I find God's dream, history, that we be one people, one race, overwhelming in love. Love changes the world, and love will change you. That, my friend, is Jesus on, on racism. hope this helps. Father, thank you for the opportunity, <sighs> the responsibility to talk about this very hard subject. And, Lord, I know that in this brevity, 
I could do a whole series on this, and maybe I should. But I thank you that you're faithful and good, that you've started in our hearts at least the thought process to have our hearts changed, our minds changed, and our perceptions changed, that we can move towards reconciliation. A little bit at a time. Maybe it's with our neighbors. Maybe it's reaching out beyond our language or our culture or understanding. Maybe it's through the Building Lives Churches Network as we reach into the Hispanic world to love people because you love people. Father, let us lay aside the prejudices that hold us back, the racism that is from Satan himself, and to live all for you, King Jesus. Father, I thank you for men like Martin Luther King Jr. who had a dream. That dream was not born in them, it was born in you. And I pray that we will live all for you and like you as one blood, one people, with one great God who redeems us all. Father, I can't help but think there's people who need to spend time now with you in confession and prayer and transformation. There's some that need to give their life to you now as Lord and Savior. And God, I just pray you'll work as only you can. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. I love you guys. I hope this has helped. And I look forward to what God does as we become one people, one blood, with one God, all for Jesus.